Okay, why don't we grab a seat, guys? And as we come back to our seats, we're going to open up God's Word. If you haven't brought a Bible and you'd like a Bible, then these two incredibly handsome, hulky blokes here at the front are going to be giving out Bibles. So put your hand in the air. All the younger girls are going, I don't need a Bible, but I'm going to have one now. (laughs) So feel free. Brilliant. All right. Okay. It's lovely, isn't it? It's great to come together. We want to um, encourage one another and be encouraged by God this morning. And um, just sensing that lovely worship time as Dave began to sing that final song. I just felt like maybe that's what God was wanting to do. He's not a reluctant father. We do not have a reluctant father in God. He is quick to come alongside us, isn't he? Wherever we're at. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about encouragement today. Um, you know, it's in life, isn't it amazing when somebody sends you a text or calls you or drops in a card or, I don't know, sends a smoke signal of some description just at the right time and it just encourages your heart. How many of us have ever experienced that? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? The power of encouragement. I feel like I'm quite loud. Am I loud? I am quite loud. Just drop me down a bit. Thanks. Great, because knowing me, I might get a bit more passionate, and you guys will be like, ah, okay. So here's the thing, Uh, you know, um, I mean, I've never been a massive runner, but I've I've had a go in in years, and uh, I might have told this story before, but I was in a cross-country race, you know, as a kid. I think I was about 12 years old, into school cross-country. Anyone remember those moments? Yeah, look at that, the hands are going up, you know exactly right. So, so the gun goes off, and out we go, you know, I'm proud, I'm running with my school shirt, you know, my school shirt on, you know, I'm like, yes. Anyway, I'm running, and uh, I'm thinking, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. I get to about 400 meters before the end of the race, and I find myself in second place. Now, anyone experience this? I'm in second place, but I am absolutely knackered. You know, it's that moment where you've just got nothing left in your legs. And, uh, and, I, and in that moment, I'm thinking, I could settle for second. Second's good, isn't it? I mean, come on, second is not bad. And I was like, maybe I could just settle for second until, until Mrs. Kathy Holmes steps out of the crowd and begins to shout my name. And in that moment, it just gave me, I don't know, this, I found a resource I did not know I had in the moment. And she was cheering me on, and my little legs just found a little bit more pace. And I ran after the guy in first place, and I beat him to the line, and somewhere in my old school is an inter-school cross-country champion trophy. And it happened because at the right moment, I had encouragement. I've been just living with just a little bit of thoughts around this. If you are here last week, Chuck brought a great word about encouragement and about us building and fostering an environment of encouragement. You know, when there's an environment of encouragement, it's like the Petri dish 
that creates possibilities and they move from possibilities and potential to reality. When there is an environment of encouragement, it draws out the best in us, doesn't it? We draw out the best in others. We, 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 we invest and we encourage and it brings out an even better person that's in here. That some of us don't even know is in here, but is in here. God has put an amazing person in each and every one of us and he wants to draw it out. And, in, and, 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 and an encouraging environment will do that. There are things that we thought we could never do, but in an encouraging environment, we can. How many of us have experienced a team environment where there is just unbelievable encouragement? It makes you feel like you can do anything. And for some of us, you know, the reality is life can be not easy. Life feels like there are moments where your legs are dead and the energy is gone. How many of us felt that? And we need encouragement, especially us as Christians. There is enough negativity and enough resistance in the world. We do not want to be a a church that, 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 that allows all of that in here. We want to do the reverse and be countercultural. We want to be a place of encouragement. And so my prayer above all today is that you leave this place encouraged to be the people that God has called you to be, to be the men the brothers, the granddads, the husbands, and the fathers that some of us have been called to be, to be the best of them. That's what God wants to do. He wants to encourage you today. And sometimes it is tough, isn't it? Life is tough. And, uh, you know, we're going to open up the scriptures, and it's a moment where it's not an easy place to be for Jesus. But Jesus is encouraged. He doesn't get a text. He gets a meeting on a mountaintop. And the past comes to visit to encourage him. So you're ready? You good for this? Right, let's open our Bibles. The, 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 the scriptures are going to come up on the screen in a moment. And it's, the, it's a brilliant moment of the transfiguration. In verse 1 of chapter 9 in the book of Mark, he says, And he says to them, I I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. And a couple of weeks ago, we said, that's where we want to be. We want to see God's power in his kingdom coming with greater measure in our community. And so we grab a hold of that promise, don't we? And we're going to pursue it. And we're going to say, Lord, that's what we want for each and every one of us. Jesus then said, well, he doesn't say it. Luke says, uh, Mark says it. He says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Fuck apt moment on Father's Day. 
What a great moment. The father is speaking to his son. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. You know, Jesus needed encouragement at times. You know, as we work in our way through the book of Mark, Mark clearly depicts the life and the ministry of Jesus as something of a battle. He is contending for something. And Mark's gospel opens up right from the beginning straight into conflict. It says that Jesus arrives preaching uh, the good news of the kingdom of God. And the first thing that happens is when he goes into a synagogue, he is met with a man who's got a bad spirit, who's, who's, who's a demoniac. And he starts to shout at him, oh, what do you want with us? You shouldn't be here, son of God. The immediate collision of kingdoms in Mark's gospel. And then as we've been going through Mark's gospel, we see that the tensions are rising and conflict is coming. And it's coming from all different um, uh, sort of sides of society. It's coming from the priests and the, uh, and, and the, sort, of, the, the sort of religious leaders, but it's also coming from the crowd. It's even coming from people closer to him and even his inner friendships. Even Peter. And so Jesus is pressed on all sides. There seems to be conflict. And here we have him here. He says, six days later, he withdraws and he goes up a mountain. I think in Mark's gospel, in so many ways, we, we begin to see that Jesus has a rhythm of life. And it's a bit like a boxing match. I don't know if anyone here is boxed. I haven't, except on my own, in front of the mirror. Because all men do that at some point, by the way. You know. But I have a friend of mine who was a kickboxer, a British champion, an unbelievable dude. I mean, wow, I wouldn't want to get in the ring with him. But even he would say sometimes, you cannot wait for the bell to go you know, half, you know, when you're in a round. Because sometimes you're just tired and you're exhausted and you desperately need this moment when you can get to the corner and your coach starts to whisper and speak encouragement into you. This is a photograph of a son who's boxing and this is his dad <laughs> telling him he can do it. This is one of those moments. Jesus withdraws to the mountain place. It's a place of prayer. It's a place of solitude. He wants to be alone. He needs to, to, to connect with his father in heaven just as we need to do that. And it's in that moment of a place of hiddenness away from the crowd, when he's alone with just a few people, that he's invited into that vulnerable moment, suddenly some things start to happen. We get a window, don't we, into the prayer life of Jesus. And I just want to make just a couple of quick observations for us this morning. Jesus goes up the mountain and he's transfigured in this, in, this, in this context of prayer. The boys who have been invited to go with him begin to see Jesus in a whole different light, literally. I want to encourage us this morning 
Jesus wants to reveal who he is to us, just as he did here to his friends. Isn't it amazing? You know, there they are on the mountainside, and, and as they're praying, it's like something is breaking out of Jesus, and something otherworldly is breaking into that moment. It's like the past is breaking into the present, and something of the future is breaking into the present. It's like we've got a kind of a moment on this mountain, it's like a portal into another whole world. The past is rocking up in Elijah and Moses. And Jesus is being transfigured in this context of prayer. Something of the divinity, the purity, and the power of who Jesus really is, is somehow coming out. I want to encourage us. God wants to do, Jesus wants to do this in our prayer times. He wants to reveal who he really is. Give us a taste to see how big he is, how pure he is, how powerful he is. And it's happening away from everybody else. It's not a public moment. It's happening in a private moment. Powerful private prayer moment. I want to just say to us today, if our legs are feeling tired, when Jesus says, come, let's go, let's go climb a mountain, I want to go. I don't know about you guys, but I don't do it enough. When you feel the tug of, come away with me, do we go? The boys went that day, and they did not know what they were going to go and experience, but they went. Jesus wants to say to us, hey, come away with me. Come on an adventure, come and climb a mountain, it's going to take a little bit of discipline. Come and, and away with me. And it's in that moment that the guys begin to see him differently. And it impacts their life forever. And they carry what goes on on the mountainside with them for the rest of their lives. What else is going on? The past breaks in on the mountain. The past arrives to encourage those in the present. Not only is Jesus having his ready break moment, but Elijah and Moses arrive as well. Past champions of old have come. They've got a day pass from the Father in heaven to come and to encourage the Son. I mean, this is, this is quite a remarkable moment. For any of us who are sportsmen, you know, for any of us who are, you know, you know wouldn't it be amazing... It, you're in a particular sport and past champions arrive to say, come on, we're with you. Yeah? Moses comes through time and space and arrives to speak encouragement into Jesus. The great Messiah and Savior figure of the Old Testament who represents the law arrives to say, Jesus, we are with you. 
We know it's not easy. We look ahead to what you're going to do. But what we did in the past is all pointing towards this moment. Jesus, we are here with you. How do I know this? Because in Luke's gospel, it actually says, it says that they came and talked about his departure. Moses and Elijah, the great heroes of old, have rocked up to say, Jesus, we're with you. What you're about to do, we're with you. Everything that we did points to you. Come on. We did it in our generation. We did it for the Father in our, in our time. Now it's your turn. What would that do to you? I know what. It would stir my heart. And I'm sure it spoke clearly to Jesus as well. And Elijah coming, the great prophet of old, you know. His high point, wasn't it? If you know your Old Testament, is that, 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 that Elijah goes up another mountain. In fact, he and all these guys go up mountains in their, in their stories. But one time they go up a mountain and there's a great face-off between Elijah and God and, and, and the priests of Baal. And Elijah is calling his nation back to what is true worship. Don't they? And, they? and Elijah sacrifices this bull and sticks it on an altar and he's pouring buckets and buckets and buckets of water on it. And the priests of Baal over here are doing their funky dance and they're trying to make you know, fire come from heaven and, and nothing's happening. And then Elijah just prays and the fire of God falls. Eli- that's the Elijah who's come. The Elijah that's called his nation back to Yahweh. Jesus has come and he wants to not only call his own nation back to God, but he's bringing a message for the entire world. Isn't it amazing? The past is breaking into the present to encourage the son. You know, let's just talk about Kathy Holmes again just for a minute. Mrs. Kathy Holmes was a scary middle school head teacher. When my legs were dead and I was big struggling and I didn't have the breath, when she, the law, stepped out of the crowd and began to shout my name, I saw her in a totally different light. She suddenly became personable. She wasn't no longer the law because everyone was terrified of her. If you got sent to Kathy Holmes's uh, room, you were in deep doo-doo. <laughs> and suddenly the law of the school is stepped out of the crowd and is shouting my name. In fact, she completely loses it. The law lost it <laughs> and is going, come on, Jimmy Juice. I don't know how you pick up this, the past. I don't know how you view the law, the past. But in that moment when Mrs. Holmes began to encourage me, it changed. Some of us look at the Bible as a rule book. Some of us are nervous about it. Some of us are scared of it. There's nothing to be scared of. There is a personal encouragement shouting your name in these pages. 
just as Mrs. Holmes shouted my name that day. I want to encourage us this morning. Just as the past came to encourage Jesus, we have not only a past and a present and even a future in these words that shouts encouragement to you and me on a daily basis. In fact, what does it say? The Father says, listen to him. We not only have the past speaking to us, but we have the Son who wants to come alongside and say, hey, listen to me. Let me encourage your heart. Let me encourage you to be the people I've called you to be. As I've read over the years, the stories in particular of the Old Testament, I've begun to see them differently. I didn't, uh, as I was thinking about Mrs. Holmes, I actually got her on Facebook and I actually sent her a note, you know, 30 years later or whatever, just to say, you, you might not know this, but you encouraged my heart. She didn't have a clue. I found out about Kathy Holmes. Uh, we live, it was a boarding school that we were a part of. My mom and dad lived in India, and um, Mrs. Holmes was a middle school teacher. And it was during the 80s, during the Iran-Iraq conflict, some of you are very young, you wouldn't have a clue about that, but some of us who are a bit older would. There was a guy, a young boy, who was at that school. His name was Alan, and he was Iranian. And Alan could not return home because of the conflict, and he had to stay in the school for six years without seeing his parents. Guess who stepped forward to be a surrogate parent in those moments? Mrs. Holmes. Mrs. Holmes would look after Alan every holiday. He didn't have a place to go. He couldn't go home. Mrs. Holmes, the law of the school, became a parent and encouraged and loved Alan. I tell you, that is powerful. I want us to encourage us as a church to pick up the past and allow it to shape our lives, to parent us and to encourage us in a whole new way. Jesus was encouraged by the past in this moment. It's brilliant, isn't it? But not only is, is, is the past come to encourage him, but his own father has come on the mountainside, hasn't it? Moses and Elijah are chatting to Jesus, and then the Father himself speaks to, uh, to the disciples about his son. That must have been unbelievably affirming for Jesus. Do you not think? This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. He's speaking to the disciples, but I tell you what, Jesus is getting it all, isn't he? He is affirming Jesus. This is my son. I love. Listen to him. It's a personal word of, uh, to the disciples because they're not listening. In the story on the run-up to this, Peter thinks he's hearing. Peter thinks he's seeing because of this whole thing about cost and going to the cross. Peter thinks he understands, but he doesn't and he's not listening. And the father comes and he says to the disciples, no, 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 no. This is my son. Listen to him. For what he's about to do, I am affirming and confirming. We need, Jesus is affirmed in this moment who he is and what he's come to do. 
And so often we get them the wrong way around. The Father affirms Jesus as his son, who he is, and then talks about what he's about to do. We often, often don't we, get it the other way around. We talk about what we're about to do. And, we, and, that's, and that shapes our lives, not who we are. I appreciate that it's Father's Day. And, uh, you know, Tor's mentioned it already that, you know, for some of us, it's, you know, we've all had differing experiences uh, with parents and dads and, and grandparents and such. I, I, I've got to be honest, I've, I've had a very good relationship with my parents and with, in particular with my dad. They're a bit mad, I, I know that. Like most parents, most kids would say my parents are pretty mad. Is that right? Anyway, my mom and dad, you know, my dad was a gas man. In other words, he worked for British Gas. He was a hard-working guy, 21 years plus, gas board. And then he felt God call him to lay all of that down, to sell their house in Sheffield in 1979 and move us to India. Now, who does that? Well... My parents are kind of crazy, but they just want to do what God has asked them to do. And so they went off to India. They lived in India, and they worked in an international school for like eight years. And then they came back to the UK, and my dad came back without a job. My dad, my hero, was on the dole. And that was tough. I remember being in the queue, you know, and, and, and going to, dad was having to go and get the dole money. And... Uh, it was tough for him. But he, he, he was like, I'm going to provide. I'm trying to get a job. And in the end, we moved to Scotland, and my mum and dad became full-time foster carers. And for the next 20 years, they fostered over 30 young men and women. Extraordinary. Because they wanted to give their lives and invest in other people who'd not had uh, the opportunity for varying reasons to be parented. So we had... Young men and women who, had, who, 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 were, who didn't have mums and dads, who had estranged parents, who had abusive parents, and it left them with deep holes and wounds in their lives. And we as a family and we as kids, I have two sisters, we shared our parents with broken young people. It's extraordinary. And I used to see my mum and dad come to church and bring five foster kids with them. We have a minibus, and in the village it was called the Bible bus, because they thought, the village thought, you know, these guys are bonkers. But my mom and dad didn't care. They were like, we're doing something for the kingdom. Because Jesus would do this, wouldn't he? He would foster, he would bring people in who do not and haven't experienced love of a parent or a dad or a mom. And it was a thankless task, and it was really tough sometimes. I remember somebody coming and saying to me, but James, did you miss out? Your mom and dad were pouring their lives into foster brothers and sisters. Did you miss out? When I turned 15, my dad did something really cool. He would rock up at 4 o'clock at the local community center where there was a gym. And me and dad had a date in the gym. The other foster lads weren't allowed to come. And so in the gym, me and my dad would work out together. 
He, he was a bodybuilder in his early years. And that's how he came to faith. But in those moments of doing bench press, my dad would affirm me. He would speak love over my life. He would rib me. And he would give me, you know, he would encourage me. And, and, and just in a, in a way that only he could do, he would speak my language. When my dad spoke over me like that, I felt invincible. My dad made an enormous difference. But the amazing thing is this, my dad didn't have a dad. My dad's dad died when he was nine years old. And he became a Christian in his early, mid-twenties. And when he became a Christian and he experienced the love of the Father, it enabled and empowered him to be the dad that he is and the dad that he is to me. I want to encourage you today, on the mountain there was paternal presence. Whatever our backgrounds are, when we meet with God and we experience his love and affirmation, we become whole. And we become the people that God calls us to be. Daughters, mothers, dads and fathers. Brothers. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you that God loves you and he's for you. And finally this, on that mountain, when the Father affirms Jesus, he affirms him for a purpose. You know what that purpose is? To push on through because he's going to need to persevere. Jesus and the disciples were going to find that actually the next phase of life was going to be very costly. For Jesus, the cross was coming. And for later on, for the disciples, they were going to have to walk all the way through that. And actually, for these three disciples, martyrdom would happen. But the love of the Father and the affirmation of the Father in this moment would have lived with them in those moments of toughness. I think for Jesus as he shoulders the cross and walks up that mountain, another hill, to give his life, whose voice would be ringing in his ears? I guarantee it was the Father's. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. And when Peter later is in jail, possibly facing death, whose voice is it that's ringing in his ears? No doubt, Jesus' voice, the Father's voice, ringing in his ears. Persevere, trust me. God wants to just simply, really encourage us this morning. He wants to affirm us. He wants to um, encourage our hearts to persevere. Guys, why don't we stand I want to pray for us this morning. And not just the men. We all need encouragement, don't we? Jesus experienced extraordinary encouragement when the past broke into the present to cheer him on and to inspire him. He had the Father's voice as affirming him. And the crazy thing is this. 
is Peter wanted to stay on the mountain and build shelters. (laughs) He wanted to hold that moment and stay there. That moment was going to live with him forever. We're not called to stay on the mountain forever. But we are, we want to allow that mountain moment to live with us as we persevere and pursue him.